Good morning. The reading this morning is from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 16 to 23. I'm reading from the NIV. So 1 Corinthians chapter 9. This is Paul talking. Yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, for I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge and so not make use of my rights in preaching. Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews I become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. I wonder if you've ever stepped into a space where you felt like a fish out of water. Have you ever had that experience? You've stepped into it and you just totally feel like you're in the wrong... It's like, it's like those westerns, the old westerns, when you, you break through the, uh, the barn door and the music stops... And every eye turns and looks. You know those those. It's like that. Have you ever felt that? Ever felt that total gap? Um, I used to be the, uh, a chaplain uh, with the VFL team, Williamstown, when I was over at Newport. And the, opera, uh, the opportunity came when um, uh, Andy Collins, who was he was an ex Hawthorne hard man. Does anyone remember Andy Collins playing footy in the? And then it must have been the, the 90s, 80s. Um, he was a he was a hard hard footy player. Um, but he called up and asked if uh, I would come to um, just be with the the footy guys because one of their their team had committed suicide. And so I said sure. And so the first time I met any of these people was when I rocked into this young fellow's funeral. Now. Um, I thought I'd stay back. I didn't know anyone. No one knew who I was. I thought I'd stay back a little bit and, um, and let all the, all the guys go in, all the footy players go in, all the family go in, and they all sat up the front. The trouble is I sort of snuck around the side bit, and there was this side part that um, as soon as uh, sort of everyone sat down, they opened up the side bit, and it just exposed me. And I was, I was with a whole lot of, lot of uh, sort of seats and a couple of people behind me, and I sat down sort of front and centre, um, where all these people are sort of looking at me going, who is this guy? No one knew who I was. I felt totally like I was in the wrong place. I wasn't, because I was able to introduce myself a bit later, but it is an uncomfortable feeling being in that space, isn't it, where you feel there is just this gap between who's there and who you are. Perhaps you feel it in your workplace. Perhaps you feel a little bit of that isolation in your workplace, a disconnect with your colleagues, maybe culturally, maybe spiritually. 
Maybe uh, you hear it through the school system. Maybe if you're a parent and you go into the local school um, and you feel a pressure to be um, sort of got the, the mums that do this or the dads that do that and you don't quite fit in. Or maybe you hear it from your kids as well. It might be that you feel isolated in your home, your um, nursing home or community. Or maybe if you're on an online community, maybe, maybe you're there and you're feeling a little bit isolated there as well. Maybe you're feeling that there's a gap. There were plenty of people in Jesus' world who felt that gap. They were kept at arm's length maybe because of something about them. The way they looked, they were ostracised maybe because of a disability or a disease. It made them look different to others. Set aside maybe because they were a woman. Because they didn't fit into the hole that was created for those who would fit. Yet these are the people that Jesus touched. These are the people that Jesus healed. The lame, the leper, the blind. They didn't fit into society. They were the ones that would walk through the barn doors and everyone would stop and look and go, what are you doing here? Maybe for you or for people that you know, maybe there's a gap in society that stops you or friends walking through the doors of a church. Philip Yancey, um, writer, he writes a book called What's So Amazing About Grace? And if you've read it, you'll know this first story. um, And uh, it says, uh, I'll just read it to you. A prostitute came to me in wretched straits. She was homeless, sick, and unable to buy food for her two-year-old. Through sobs and tears, she told me that she'd been renting out her daughter to support her own drug habit. Horrible. He goes on. He says, I could hardly bear hearing this story. At last, I asked if she'd ever thought of going to a church for help. And I will never forget the the pure look, the naive shock that crossed her face. Church, she cried. Why would I ever go there? I already feel terrible about myself. They just make me feel worse. There's a gap. The wrestle I have with hearing this story is that when I read the scripture, I hear of people with struggles that are wrestling and they run to Jesus. They seek Jesus out. If we're to be a church that bridges gaps to our community, we've got to reflect that same Christ-like nature, the character that people flock to. But unfortunately, there seems to be a bit of a gap between the church and today's society. But let's flip the story, because that's pretty sort of a downer sort of way to start. A few years back, I had the opportunity to go to Bangladesh when I was uh, working at Newport, and uh, I saw the work of symbiosis there. Wonderful work. They go into villages and they empower women uh, to earn and invest and dig back into their own communities. It's fantastic. So I got to see eye clinics helping those who are poor and giving them glasses, serving one another in just beautiful, beautiful ways. It was, it was just an eye-opening experience. Whilst we were there, we went out to this one community that was very, very rural, and they didn't normally take uh, international guests to these, these communities. Now, this was a community that hadn't seen 
middle-aged white men before. So we were very new to them. <laughs> to them, we were like bazillionaires. Like we were like the rich and the famous. And they followed us around. They brought out the soft drink for us and treated us like kings. Not that we asked for it. We couldn't say, or we could, the only thing we could really say is hi and thank you. That was the, the, the things that we could say. Um, they spoke no English. But despite the barriers that were there, we felt totally embraced by them, totally welcomed into their community. I wonder if you felt that. I wonder if you felt that from the church. I wonder if your neighbours would say they felt that from the church. Because the church is called to be a welcoming and inclusive community for all people from all backgrounds and all walks of life. We may not always speak the same language, may not always share the same cultural or social experiences, but the people of God should always find a common ground in a shared humanity and a shared faith in Christ. Unfortunately, that's not the church that the woman in Philip Yancey's story knew about. Her understanding of church was that if, if she walked through the door, it was going to be judgment. And unfortunately, our society today has a gap between the church and community. And there's different reasons for that. There's different reasons for that. But it was really only a couple of hundred years ago that the community was actually built around the church. In England, a couple of hundred years ago, the church was literally the centre of the community. Literally, like they would build the church and everything would go around it. People went to the church for whatever they needed, for their safety if they were feeling vulnerable, for help if they were needing in trouble, for food if they were struggling with uh, finances. The church was the centre of the community and it was accepted that way. That's how it was. But if we fast forward couple of hundred years, and the church is lucky to get a position in newly built estates. They're not a part of civic planning anymore. Church bodies are starting to realise that. Planting a church within a, or a building, getting a building within a new estate is almost impossible. So the BUV, Baptist Union of Victoria, they're doing it a little differently. They're saying, if we can't put a building into a new space, we're going to uh, get a couple of houses and we're going to bring people into the spaces. And they've done that up at Aintree, which is in the outer west, brand new estate, where they bought two houses and they placed two families to bridge the gap to community and they called them placemakers. And they're doing amazing things. They, they um, built a community garden, brought people into the garden space, and built relationships. They have uh, pizza meals where people come and bring their own toppings. They provide the bases, and the community comes together. Bridge building to the community. A great way of seeing God at work. John Stott says, The church must be a bridge, not a barrier to the world around us. So this morning we're going to explore how we as a church, KSBC, but also as the people of God, can be bridge builders, not barrier creators. We need to seek to close the gap between community and the church. And we've got to become a church which 
this community can't do without. Let me pray and we'll get into the scripture. Our Lord, we give you thanks and praise that you give us the opportunity to hear your word this morning. Uh, May these words encourage, equip and send us out uh, to be that sort of a person, bridge building into our community. Thank you, God. Amen. So the passage that Amy read to us, you might want to get it out, 1 Corinthians 9, uh, verse 16 to 23, uh, it gives us into a, a little bit of a glimpse into Paul's approach to ministry. It sort of asks the question, how can we build bridges or bridge the gaps between this, this new way of Christianity that was there and for anyone he was seeking to serve that wasn't part of that? So Paul's methodology was to adapt his message and behaviour to different cultural contexts so that he can be effective when he shared the gospel. Verse 16 starts with a summary of this approach. He says, For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, since I'm compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For Paul, the only option was preaching the good news, the gospel. This, this good news. Last week we talked about how Paul um, shared the words, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Jesus encompassed Paul's whole life. For Paul, the only thing he can do is share the gospel. But it's not for personal gain. It's not for financial gain. It's not for pride. And the start of uh, 1 Corinthians 9 talks all through that. It's not to be able to boast that he reached so many people or started so many churches. He lived and shared the gospel because that is who he was. He moves on to verses 20 and 22, and he tells us how he would do, how he'd go and share the gospel to different people and different groups. Let me read it to you again. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having, those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I may save some. Paul's saying to effectively share the gospel with different people from different cultural contexts. He needs to adapt uh, the message and behaviour to connect with them on their terms and ultimately see lives changed for the message of the gospel. As I was reading it this week, I was thinking about what he would be doing. What would look like for Paul to go into these spaces? And I, 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 the picture came up in my mind, um, Peter Sellers from the Pink Panther. I don't know if you remember that. We're going back quite a while. The, the, the picture came up that every separate space that he went to, he'd go in a, a new disguise so that he could enter into the conversation in some way. If you haven't seen the Pink Panther movies, they're fantastic. Um, I don't get the feeling Paul did that. <laughs> I don't get the feeling Paul went through and disguised himself to, uh, to put on the Jewish robes or the Roman leathers or armour or whatever he did. In fact, I can't imagine Paul wearing anything different to what he would normally wear. I don't think he'd physically change in order to be a Jew and to reach the Jews or to be a Roman and reach the Romans. I don't think he did that. <laughs> I know if I rocked up to a party with my son Tarquin as a 15-year-old going to uh, his mates and I put on my hat sideways and wore some makeup and got some funkier clothes or whatever, I think all he and his mates would see through it. Is that right, Tarks? Yeah, yeah, you'd just be going, Dad, go away. 
have a finding ways to connect the good news of Jesus Christ is not about some clever disguise to trick people into the kingdom or to get people to come to church. It's actually finding space where the good news intersects with the great longing of people. Paul's willing to identify and understand the people that he's seeking to reach. Even if it means setting aside some of his own personal preferences or even cultural practices. It doesn't compromise any of his love for Jesus, though. Paul is opening up a missional heart towards others that perhaps don't sound like him or look like him or do things the same way as him. He's demonstrating to the church in Corinth that to communicate the message of Jesus to diverse audiences, we must first model a posture of flexibility but also humility. Mission theology would call this contextualization. Tim Foster wrote a great book that Solari and I are both reading through at the moment. It's called The Suburban Captivity of the Church. And he writes that contextualization is this. He says, how to take the gospel as it is understood in one culture and translate it into the recipient's culture. In order to do that well, we may need to deconstruct assumptions that we've brought to uh, the gospel through our own culture, our own experiences. We may need to break that down a little bit. Henry Nguyen said this. He said, Building bridges of love and reconciliation requires humility, vulnerability, and a willingness to listen and learn from others. We don't have all the answers for every culture. Building bridges involves us humbly taking time to listen, listen to the stories of the community we live in, that we work in, that we play in, and explore how the gospel interweaves through our story and the story of a new culture. I was always taken by uh, the story of Don Richardson. He was a missionary to the, the cannibalistic Sawi tribe of Papua. In his book, Peace Child, he outlines his effort to evangelise this tribe and eventually was able to do so using one of their traditions, the giving of a peace child to a rival tribe. Has anyone read the book or heard the story? Yeah, a few, quite a few of you. The Sawi peace child tradition was a tradition that happened when two warring tribes would, make, would want to make peace. They would exchange a child, a peace child, a baby or a young child given from one tribe to the other. And the child would be raised by the, I suppose, the opposition, the enemy tribe, and treated with love, treated with affection, uh, grown as one of their own. And it was a symbol of this new relationship of peace between the two tribes. It would keep peace and goodwill. So Richardson was able to um, use this tradition to explain that in the same way, Jesus Christ was God's peace child, sent to reconcile the gap between God and humanity. He didn't go in saying, I've got the answer. He observed, he listened, he understood that good news would come through the traditions that the Sawi people already understood. Not through a Western understanding of, of evangelism. I wonder what Western ideas of evangelism we layer over other cultures. And I'm not just speaking about uh, different nations. I'm thinking subcultures and all that sort of stuff. wonder why sometimes our evangelism doesn't work. 
We need to be bridge builders, connecting those who have no sense of the presence of God, because that's more where we live now, with God's remarkable story of love and redemption for all. But what does this look like for the church today? We know that the gap is widening between church and community. The media portrayal of the church sort of hits to, to more the things of the church that are negative, isn't it? The failures, and I don't want to in any way diminish the atrocities that some of the church, some people in the church have left scars on people that are uh, unspeakable. But that's what we hear in our media. So that's what our culture is fed. I want us to be a, a church here that is building a bridge, one to the community, that, that the community celebrates who we are. That your neighbours say, oh, that is the church that gave me the hamper at Christmas time. That's the church where my kids did playgroup and I felt a sense of peace and part of a community for those early years of child, uh, of being a parent. That's the church where I was broken and someone said, shall I have a meal with you? So how are we going to do that? How are we going to be that church? I want to share four ways that we can build bridges into the community. And we've talked a little bit about it. First, we need to understand the culture. Our, our world is increasingly complex, isn't it? No longer do we just have this Aussie culture. We're multicultural. But within our multiculture, there are uncountable subcultures. And it is unbelievable. No longer is a subculture just punk and emo or goths, or if you're going back to the 1560s, um, there was a movie that had the greases in the socks. I don't know if you remember that one. The Outsiders. That was an awesome movie. Anyway, um, they were the, the base subcultures that you have. But I looked up some subcultures uh, on the internet. Don't do that, because you can come up with some weird things. <laughs> don't go too deep into that. Not cool. Um, but I found a cool one, a subculture. Then uh, I was intrigued by this one. It was the Mexican pointed shoe subculture. <laughs> that, was, um, that was interesting. So um, obviously it's a Mexican thing. I haven't come across anyone in Australia that has really pointy shoes like that. I know pastors sometimes wear pointy shoes, um, but haven't gone down that road yet. So that might be my next, next purchase, pointy shoe. Um, might get in the way of the thing here. <laughs> but there are subcultures that we don't even know about, subcultures that we have no idea about. But just as Paul became like a Jew to win the Jews, we can build bridges not just by wearing pointy shoes, but by trying to actually stop, listen, and understand the cultures and subcultures that are on our doorstep, are in our next-door neighbours' lives. We can learn what drives them. We can learn what, what values they hold, what traditions they embrace, because it helps us engage with the cultures that are around us, not just coming in from our own cultural perspective. The second thing we can do is meet people where they are. Paul met people where they were at. He became like those under the law to win those under the law. For too long, we as a church maybe have expected the evangelists of the church to gather and bring people into the church. Or we make um, snazzy programs to bring people into church and we've expected the, the outside world to come in. As the, as the gap gets bigger, that's not going to happen as it may have used to. We've got to learn from Paul. Paul went out to them. It might mean for us going to a local community event 
Maybe it means going into your, your sporting club or local industry. Even last night, Solara and I went out and saw Craig Smith and um, one of the teachers at her, her school um, uh, play piano. Brilliant. He used to be at this church. Brilliant piano player. It was wonderful. But they were singing all Ella Fitzgerald stuff. And it was just wonderful. We sat on a table with uh, a young couple and just had a really good chat and just heard all about, they were Filipino, heard all about their culture. And, and when they came here, it was just fantastic. But going into different spaces, it's not hard. Engaging people where they are at. It might be going out on a Wednesday night with our, um, our evangelism team out to the Baronia station and handing out coffees for people, chatting with them. We'll talk about a little bit more about that in a minute. It might be saying hi to the mum you're sitting next to at your son's basketball game. It might be just walking past your community as you drive, as you walk past and saying hi to someone in the garden. Meet people where they are at. Physically, meet people where they are at. But also spiritually. Don't wait until they step into church. Go to them. Be a faith presence in their lives. The third thing is we need to be able to serve the needs of the community. To the weak, poor became weak. The church, and indeed individuals, us who make up the church, can build bridges by serving the community needs, by um, seeking to serve the marginalised, those who are vulnerable. Perhaps you might want to think about volunteering at the Foothills Meal on a Monday up at Upway Baptist Church. Going and sitting there, either serving or even just going and getting a meal there, and sitting and having a conversation with the people who are there. I heard an awesome story from Sam this week, and I'll get her to share it one day. Um, but um, the, the, the small version, because I want her to share the big version at some stage, is that she met these two people who are in need, and she took them out and had a meal with them. She sat with them and ate with them, and they were talking about it days later. So it was, I was really moved by your story, Sam. Serving the needs of the people that are in front of us. Being a listening ear. Being a contact point for someone, empathising with them. Needs come in all shapes and sizes. It doesn't have to be massive to fill, but it might be something small like taking out your neighbour's bins. How are we serving those in our community? The fourth thing is to build relationships. Paul's approach was to be all things to all people, but through building authentic relationships with our neighbours, the people we play sport with, the outside organisations, that you're all involved with stuff. People who may not look like you, but still need real, authentic relationships. Sitting and listening to their stories, finding some common ground. I remember connecting with my UK, UK neighbour, and not long after he moved into our place, and he was fantastic. He was such a fun fellow, and we used to have a lot of laughs. But he invited me one day to come in and watch a comedy show. And um, if you know, have you heard of Ricky Gervais? He's a British comedian, very, very funny, but can be quite, uh, quite uh, intense and, yeah. So irreverent is probably the right word. And so I sat in his lounge, and he does this comedy show about Scripture and the Bible. And I sat in his lounge hearing all this stuff, and it was really quite funny. <laughs> but I'm thinking, thinking, all right, this is bridge building. His kids are there, and they're young. And I'm like, I wouldn't let my kids be watching this at this time. But anyway, and I sat there and watched this whole thing with him. 
And it built this bridge that allowed us to talk about all sorts of things. It was worth it. It was awkward, but it was worth it. It was well worth it. And we became great friends. There's four ways that we can engage with the community. You know, the church is already doing lots of this, though. You're already doing lots of this. And, and we've got to recognise that. So I want to just mention a few things that we're, we're doing already. We have incredible uh, playgroups. In our playgroups, we've got 50 families that come over four days in the week. 15 or so of those families are from church. That's a lot of community families. Ruth and her team have nurtured people for many, many years, providing help for families in need, celebrating birth, suffering the pain of death. What a bridge she's crossed for the kingdom for these families. We do ministry to the local schools. Um, we actually have Sarah. He, she's here today. Our, um, she's a chaplain from um, Gladesville Primary School. Please say hi to her afterwards. It's great to have you, Sarah. She's going to come next week and, and share with us a little bit about her ministry uh, up there at Gladesville. We're supporting her because we think she's doing an awesome job. And she's connecting the school, the church. She's building bridges. She's doing what we're doing here, what we're talking about here. We support Richie Gordon up at the, the Basin Primary School, who's also doing such a great job in building uh, bridges. We have a Kids Hope um, ministry that's been around for many, many years at the Basin Primary School. And, and that ministry is a ministry of presence, just listening, just being present continually with a student in the school. It makes a massive difference to a young person's life. You may not even see it at the time that you're doing it. I received an email from Jamie Tidd just the other, other day, and he's been a, he was a Kids Hope mentor for 10 years or so. In that time, Jamie mentored two young people, um, but for one, um, he had one young fellow for five years until this lad finished his high school, uh, primary school. Jamie received an email just last month. Um, so this is going back, what, 2015, I think, um, Jamie wrote. So this is going back a long time. But he received an email just last month from the mother. Uh, and Jamie's given me permission uh, to share with uh, you this and the mother as well. This is what the mother wrote to Jamie just recently. Hi, Jamie. I was doing some writing and a memory came up of a role that you had in my young boy's life. Oh, I'm getting teary even writing this. You made such a difference to him. Uninterrupted time with your focus only on him was a treasured gift. He struggled to be seen in a world that focused on his sister and with a dad who didn't know how to help him. You saw him. You valued him. And for that, we're both still so grateful. He has grown into a magnificent, confident human. He has found his work niche and is excelling. Thank you for the foundation you helped lay. I wanted you to know that I haven't forgotten and credit you as an important part of his life. Thank you. Thanks, Jamie, for allowing us to share that. How, yeah, for sure. What an incredible story. At the time, Jamie, you didn't realise what you were doing and how much impact you were having in that young lad's life. But what a story of faithful, continual um, presence in that community. We may never know how or even when, if this young lad will, will come to faith. Maybe he has already. But when he looks back, as his mother has, he'll remember that guy who selflessly came each week and sat with him. Kids Hope has an incredible connection to the community. 
It takes one hour a week. It needs a little bit of training, but minimal training, and makes such an important impact on the lives of young people. You might want to explore this. You might want to have a chat to Jamie about what he did for, for so many years. There's a few people in the church that are doing it, but we'd love to have more. I know Richie has told us that there's plenty of kids that would have Kids Hope mentors if there were people to do it. Corinne um, heads up our uh, Kids Hope. She would love to chat to you about it as well or come and see myself. We'd love to engage you in this space. Building bridges, barrier breaking, Next, this week we had Rod and Kaz and Harry and Lynn and Keith and Jeanette. Um, they all came to, uh, went out to Baronia this week with the coffee van and they, I think they came first for some worship and then they took their tools out into Baronia and handed out two Sparrows coffee vouchers to people coming off the trains and people who looked like they really just needed a, a bit of a lift and they made about 25 coffees for people just milling around. They gave out five hampers to people who were in need. They were able to pray for those walking around. We'll hear more about, uh, more about that from Rodney's team in the coming weeks as well. But what an amazing start. This is the first time it's gone out like that. But what an amazing start to bridging gaps to the community. Um, the local news put some articles in the paper, positive articles about the, the hope of the coffee cart. Great stuff, positive news about what God's doing, bridging gaps between our community. We have a youth group that has plenty of kids. We have children's ministries that have plenty of kids. Walking group brings people on a Thursday morning together to just go for a walk. There's Foothills Community Care that the, the church up at Upway are, are engaged with, that we can be engaged with. There's so many things. Craft groups, ladies, coffee and cake, car boot sales coming up in a couple of weeks' time, and people from our community come onto the property. Imagine if we were all chaplains into that space on that day. There's so many opportunities for us to build bridges to the community where we can listen to the stories where we can engage in the culture and we can bridge the gap. But it's not just about the church doing this, it's about us as individuals. As you step into a foreign land in your workplace, maybe it's got a totally different spiritual culture to what you're used to. As you step into the school grounds and confronted with people from all walks of life, how are you being a bridge builder and engaging community? rather than creating barriers between people and God. Well, it started with what we talked about last week. We need to live a faith beyond Sundays. And the, the message from today tells us that our faith beyond Sundays will help us bridge gaps into our community tomorrow. To finish, I just want to come back to verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 9. It says this, I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. I like the way the message paraphrases this. It says, I do all this because of the message. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. Paul doesn't say that he's going to become all things to all people so that he can gloat about his great achievements. It's not about his own fame. It's not about a boast. Paul did it because of the message. The good news message that transformed his life so drastically on the road to Damascus. And he thinks, 
that could be the same hope I can give someone else. It'd be awesome to be able to hear stories of how the church was a place where people would come for their needs to be met. And when I say come, I don't mean to a front door, to your front door. Their physical needs, their emotional needs, their spiritual needs. Wouldn't it be great to hear the stories of how God used you to bridge gaps within the community, within your neighbour who's been that little bit standoffish? How you've built a great relationship. Uh, One of our focus points over the next few months is to have 80% of our church community engage with someone who doesn't know Jesus. And it might be having a meal with them or um, going for a walk with a neighbour or having a coffee at your local cafe. It might be walking together, doing something together. Perhaps it's helping him out with a project, whatever it might be. But building bridges, being present, building relationships with those around you. I'm going to give you just a moment's silence now. And just where you are, just stop and allow God to speak to you about maybe it's the name of someone. Maybe it's a connection that you've made with someone in the past that, that you think, actually, I'd love to stop and just say hi to them. Let's give you a moment and then I'm going to pray over us and I'll invite the musicians forward after that. So God, in the silence you speak, and as we've listened and heard about Paul's longing to have others come to know you, to bridge the gap between uh, you, Lord, and the people that he was working to share uh, the good news with, Lord, may we be listening to you. May we be open to stepping out, taking that bold step, step just to say, hey, let's go for a walk together. Let's have a coffee together. Let's do a project together. Now, God, may we be your hands and feet in the world, building bridges to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.